We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to We Saved You a Seat podcast with Oklahoma Family Network. I am Tamara Crabtree and here with my guest, Kara. Um, I've known Kara for several years back when she first had uh, Silas and I'm super excited to have her here because she has been just a great influence with some of our younger moms that come in and have a baby and in the NICU. So I'm excited to hear Kara's story and for her to share it. And um, so Kara, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and about Silas and uh, kind of a little bit about your journey in in bringing Silas to the world. Okay, well, I'm glad to be here. Uh, My name is Kara. My son is Silas and he is five and a half. He was born uh, in July of 2015. Um, I was, I'm a advanced maternal age mom. So I was pregnant with him around 36 and I had him a little after I turned 37. Um, And everything was fine and great in my pregnancy until around week 27 when I um, went to just a regular primary care physician because I had some sinus congestion and just didn't, wasn't feeling well. And uh, they took my blood pressure there and it was very high. Uh, At the time, I think we kind of thought like maybe something was wrong with their machine because they had one of those um, digital machines. And so the nurse was like, oh, maybe it's the machine. And so he tried to take it manually and it still was high. Um, But they thought, oh, well, maybe you took some medicine or something that made it high. So the doctor gave me a prescription for an antibiotic and sent me on my way. Thankfully, I had an appointment later that afternoon with my um, OBGYN. And of course, my blood pressure was sky high. And after trying to monitor and everything, they admitted me that night, put me on magnesium and all the fun things. And the next day they sent me on to a bigger hospital with a bigger NICU or with a NICU, hoping to keep him in for as long as possible. And I was there for about six days before we had to deliver at almost 29 weeks. Um, and so he came, he was, uh, because of the preeclampsia, um, he experienced interuterine growth restriction. So um, my kidneys and everything because of the high blood pressure just weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Um, and his umbilical cord was starting to reverse. Um, he just wasn't get the, getting the nutrients that he needed because my body was not as healthy as it should be. And so um, he just weighed one pound, 11 ounces, which was quite a bit too small for his um, gestational age. Um, But then he spent uh, 60 days in the NICU. And obviously now he's healthy and five and a half and a kindergartner. So five and a half kindergartner, 60 days in the NICU. Um, Just a little recap. He was one pound, 11 ounces. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And he was essentially almost 29 weeks gestation, right? One day, one, he was 28 weeks and six days. So And we held on to that one day because he, just because of that one day early, he ended up being able to qualify to get RSV shots. So 
I was going to say, we hold on to those days, don't we? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. Um, Now tell me, was he your first child? Yes, he's, he was my first child and he is our only at this point, obviously not having pictured that as being how things were going to play out with the first baby. I mean, I, I uh, was supposed to have been at work that day (laughs) instead of being admitted to the hospital. So uh, I left projects on my desk and at work and um, it was, it was really interesting to, to kind of not have things play out like I had expected them to. Tell us a little bit about maybe you, you being a first time mom and some of those emotions that played out uh, being that first time mom in the NICU. Oh gosh. I mean, I think having a lot of information helps me process things. Um, and thankfully I had had a close friend who had had um, both of her sons were born prematurely and both had been um, in the NICU and so at that, actually at the hospital we were at. So I had some kind of awareness um, obviously not what I have now, but I had some kind of awareness of kind of the process that was going to happen when I was in the hospital, or at least I felt like I did at the time. Um, And I think that probably helped having watched her walk through that um, calmed me down a little bit because I knew kind of the uh, the way that the nurses were talking and the things they were saying and the different medications they were throwing out. I knew some of those things from from having heard her speak about her journey. Um, But it was still really, really a lot to take in. It was really overwhelming. I mean, I I took an ambulance from a smaller hospital um, to the larger hospital. And I just remember in the ambulance just being like, what is happening? (laughs) Because it just felt so surreal and um, and a little overwhelming. And I'm kind of a perpetually like, um, I look at the bright side of things type person. Um, and so I, I was like, well, everything's, you know, everything's going to be okay. We're going to a place where there's really good doctors and nurses. Um, but it just, the whole experience was just so surreal and overwhelming because it wasn't what I had planned out <laughs> in, in, in any sense of the word. I mean, I was of an age, obviously, that I had seen um, relatives and close friends have their babies. And so I kind of was expecting everything to play out like it, you know, typically does for a pregnant woman, 40 weeks of pregnancy and you have the baby. And obviously I had planned things out at my job (laughs) to accommodate that. And then just kind of out of nowhere, like I said, I was feeling like I had a sinus infection and come to find out that probably was kind of a symptom that I should have paid more attention to. Uh, It was probably a symptom of the high blood pressure making my head feel the way it was feeling. And so um, it was, it was a very hard journey. I wouldn't wish it on anyone else, um, especially for your first child. But I think, gosh, I just learned so much. (laughs) I just learned so much going through it. So was he breathing on his own? Was he, you know, was he on a ventilator? What were some of those things and kind of walk us through a little bit of that? Um, He was... I think in the delivery room, he was taking some breaths on his own, um, but they were supplementing his air. I did see him the day that he was born, but I was very, very sick. Um, so I was not really even aware of what kind of was going on with him. Um, but for the first little bit, he was just on oxygen, uh, just kind of high flow oxygen. About day four, he went on a ventilator um, and he was on that for 
he was on and off of it, on and off of it for quite a while. Um, we'd take a few steps forward and then a few steps back. And he, um, you know, just struggled with, with that. And then he got an infection in while we were in the NICU, which is, just happens. And so that kind of made him have a little more trouble breathing. But um, so that was hard having him, um, having him be on the ventilator was difficult to watch. Um, I didn't get to see him really until he was probably around 36 hours old was when I was finally lucid enough to really see him and understand what was happening. Um, and that was really difficult seeing him for the first time and seeing how, just how small he was. Um, I thought I was prepared because I had watched my friend walk through that. I had even been in the NICU um, and seen her baby her, both of her sons, um, and one of her sons was born at 29 weeks, but he was double the size that Silas was. So what I had in my head to expect when I saw Silas for the first time, he was quite a bit smaller, obviously half the size. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a hard, like the seeing him then and kind of having missed that much of the first day of his life and really not knowing what was going on was really, um, that was really difficult. Um, and then he was, you know, obviously being born early, he had other struggles. Um, his bowels had problem, had trouble moving. And um, so that puts some pressure on the lungs and makes it difficult to breathe. And so, um, you know, for the first couple of weeks, there was, it was kind of touch and go. Uh, he would have times that were, that he was not doing well. Um, and so that was really hard to, to watch your baby and not know, um, you know, how they're going to be the next day or the next morning or later that day. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard families and, and parents say before that their, their day depended on whether their baby was having a good day or a bad day. So, it, it you know, they could yeah. walk in thinking it's going to be a good day. And then all of a sudden, you know, the struggle of getting yeah. some news or, you know, something didn't go right, or there's a blood transfusion, or you think things are going. Uh, do you remember holding him for the first time? I do. I, I was really sick um, for the first week of his life. Uh, my blood pressure was very high even after I gave birth, which I think is kind of a common misconception about preeclampsia um, is that delivery is like the cure for preeclampsia. Um, and it's, it's not really. Uh, it does help. It does start the process of, um, of healing for some women, but it is not the cure. And so I struggled kind of with that too. I, I didn't really know much about preeclampsia prior to being diagnosed with it. And then once I was, I did a little research and a lot of things said that once you had the baby, everything would be fine. And so I thought magically after I had him, I would feel so much better. And I didn't, I just, I was very sick for the first full week of his life. And so my husband had to take over most of the touch times with him, um, especially the first like 36 hours or so. Uh, I just really couldn't even get out of bed. And I was I had a lot of medication going where I just wasn't very lucid. Um, but I do remember holding him for the first time. I actually got to hold him for the first time. I had been released and we went back up there the next day and uh, we'd actually been up in the morning for a touch time and, and had come home to rest. And my husband took me back up and we thought we were going to get to give him a bath. And then the nurse said, oh no, I think it's going to be okay for you to hold him today. <laughs> so he was about seven days old the first time I got to hold him. And I, um, I was probably, you know, 75% better. I still wasn't great, but being able to hold him, I think that day 
and being able to hold him was really like the real beginning of my own physical healing. Um, I, re I really credit being able to hold him as much as the nurses allowed with helping my own body heal. So I was gonna, it sounds like he was as much medicine for you, you yes. know, and then, and then you were medicine for him as well. So yes, yeah. oh, I, I love it. Um, so walk us through a little bit. That was about day seven. You got to hold him for the first time. You've sat through a lot of support groups with me, with some other moms. And I know we've talked to other moms about some of the grief that a mom experiences when, when she delivers early. And so why don't you, if you don't mind, just kind of sharing a little bit of that grief that, that a mom walks through. Well, gosh, it's just so hard because you think back, uh, you know, did I do something wrong? Did I, was it because I missed my prenatal vitamins that one day or did I not eat enough or... Um, and especially if you're kind of a WebMD researcher like I, <laughs> you you start you're sitting there. I mean, like I spent many days just sitting there holding him, and I would hold him for you know hours. And um, while I was holding him, I would do research. And so you have to be careful about that because not everything you read on the internet is helpful or true. And so some of that stuff had caused me really to begin to think that maybe I had done something wrong that I had somehow, my body had failed me and I had somehow caused this. Um, and so that was difficult. It was, it was really hard to kind of fight through those emotions. I knew, like my head knew that that wasn't true um, because I have seen that happen to other, uh, other women having babies early. And I knew obviously it wasn't their fault. So that was something I had to really struggle through knowing, well, if it wasn't their fault that their baby came early, then it's also not my fault that my baby came early. Um, these are things that just happen and thankfully we live in an age when they happen when there is so much great medical care um, for premature infants and for moms. Um, and so, but it was very difficult to kind of grieve that, um, that my body didn't, didn't respond to pregnancy the way it should have and that I developed this preeclampsia and not knowing necessarily why or the trigger that caused me to be the one that developed it was really hard and it still is hard to kind of realize that like I probably will never have the answer to that question um what caused me to have preeclampsia I probably will never actually have a full answer to that and so that's difficult to kind of that's a difficult pill to swallow that you you won't ever really have a, a full answer to that I mean I think that causes grief and it does with a lot of women no matter how their baby comes early uh typically there's not really an answer as to why and I think that can cause a lot of grief for a lot of women. Um, but we have to, I think I came to the point where I realized I had to kind of let that part go um, and knowing that I wouldn't have the answers and that would be okay. I didn't have to have all the answers. Um, that kind of was freeing. And I, like I said, I think holding him and being able to be there with him was one of the best things, not only for him. I mean, we know scientifically it's proven that that is good for babies, but it was really good healing for me yeah. <laughs> to be able to hold him. So that's great. Um, you and I actually met when y'all were in the hospital we did. and um, we had a few conversations bedside and, and had some, some good talks, I guess. Um, but the resource that I provided was not something that you just, um, I guess, jumped in with both feet at the time. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why that wasn't necessarily what you needed in that moment and then maybe circle back and be able to share why you do provide that same type of support now. So, yeah. Well, in the moment, um, I was struggling uh, 
I mean, I was just overwhelmed with everything. And I was very much trying to keep my focus on um, my baby and on myself kind of physically healing um, that I just, I, I could not add other things to my plate. And while I was like so grateful to meet you and I loved hearing stories of other women who had had their babies prematurely. And I loved hearing the success stories about their um, kids and how well they were doing. Um, you invited me to this, to a support group. And I just, I, I remember like, I just thought I can't do this. I can't add another thing to my plate. I can't be that vulnerable with other people right now. Um, I think some of the uh, part of the support group was breastfeeding. And at that time I was um, on a medication that dried me up. And so I felt like I didn't necessarily need or, you know, belong in, in a group that maybe was talking about that. Um, which I find now to be not true. <laughs> I, I, I could have fit in easily and it would have been fine. It would have always fit in. Oh. We all have our struggles no matter what they are. So right. I know now that that's not the case, but then at that time, I just was so overwhelmed that I thought, I just, I don't think I can be that vulnerable. I, I, was, I was holding myself together and plowing through this difficult valley um, with all the resources that I already previously had and knew what to do with. And so I just didn't know if I could add something else right. and hit the cart, so to speak. Um, but then once we went home, um, you know, you, they discharge you, you, you take a discharge class about infant CPR and they give you kind of a, a binder that has like some things saying like, here are some resources that might help you down the road. <laughs> and then you go home with this infant that has, been medically fragile for however many days that you're there and that you've had nurses helping care for up until literally the minute you leave right. and then you you walk in your house and you think oh like I have to do this by myself now with you know my spouse or partner and um what did that binder say <laughs> what do I do if <laughs> and so um you know as as our first we were in we came home in the fall so we were straight into isolation um, at our home to keep Silas healthy from um, RSV and, and anything else that um, he might, we didn't want him to come down with even a cold. So we were only went to doctor's appointments and then we started um, gradually, you know, I started having questions. How do I reach out to Sooner Start? How do I, you know, reach out to any of these resources that I know are out there that can help me um, know how to be the best mom I can be to my son and help him with the things I know that he might have delays in. And so I started reaching out to um, some of the nurses who pointed me in the direction of the of a Facebook support group that Tamara has. And um, that's really where all of a sudden I started like really feeling the need for support from other moms who had walked this path before me and could tell me, um, how to get in touch with Sooner Start, how to get an evaluation for therapy, um, what I even needed to be looking for to know if I should be reaching out to those people. And so really probably when Silas was about six months old is when I started finding that or when I found that support group and began to really engage with other women on there. Um, some of them were women that had had babies in the NICU the same time as we had been there. And because of privacy, we just had seen each other coming and going, but we hadn't really connected. Um, and so we began to connect on that group and it, and it was fun to connect with those ladies, you know, knowing that we had seen each other in the hallways. Um, and for me, I had sat in the room and prayed for their children 
while I was holding Silas. And so being able to connect with them and see how their children were doing was so great. And then also just having that ongoing support from other moms who were farther down the road that could, you know, come alongside and give us encouragement and direction. It was so helpful and it continues to be helpful for me. It was not just the first year, but as we continued parenting Silas, we, you know, when he started getting closer to three and he wasn't talking well, um, you know, I was able to reach out to somebody and say, you know, is this typical? Do you think I should seek speech therapy for him? And there were ladies that had gone down that path before that could help me kind of navigate that. And it, I think it's just so wonderful to have that kind of support and to seek it out because you don't have to walk this alone. And there are women who've, who have walked, who, who have done what you're doing. Um, maybe not exactly your path, but there are so many women that have navigated the resources that are available to premature infants um, and to infants that have delay delays in whether it's you know, speech or physical or whatever, um, there are so many other moms and dads who have walked that path that can help us navigate it. Absolutely. And you have been just an invaluable resource for a lot of moms, I know, um, as you've sat in face-to-face. -face. So you come in now as a mentor, you know, to be able to sit in with those moms and, and the moms that are scared and walking into our support group. And um, for the very first time, you were a, a calming face that welcomes them. So I, I know that I appreciate that piece of it for you to be able to be there and, and be that support for others. What are some what are some other things that you definitely remember as far as NICU life that was really hard to navigate? Um, I don't know if it's maybe kind of the balance of everything of out, outside life, maybe the spouse going back to work. What were some of those really hard things in the NICU that you remember? Because this is even what, five and a half years for you. Mm -hmm. And as we sit and chat, it, it feels like yesterday in yeah, some way. It does. You it know, really does. It, these are emotions and experiences that we will forever be talking about, even as in our old age, we will yeah. always be talking about our birth experiences, won't we? Yes. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, I think some of the hard things while we were in the NICU to navigate Obviously, my husband had limited leave, um, and so he, maybe a week after I got out of the hospital, um, and so he has a pretty flexible job, um, so he was able to see Silas, you know, in the morning before he went to work, and then he would come, and I had a C-section, so he would drop me off at the hospital, see Silas, and then I would be at the hospital all day by myself, and then he would come and pick me up and, and take me home for dinner. Um, and there was a little bit of conflict with us, or maybe not conflict, but just, you know, it was, it was difficult uh, for me to be at the hospital all day, uh, receiving all of the information from the doctors and trying to digest everything that was happening. And then he was at work just living kind of the normal, his normal life. Now, in hindsight, obviously, we've had conversations now where I know he wasn't living normal life. He was just doing what he could to get through every day and work so that we so that our family was provided for. Um, and it was equally as hard for him to go about what he was doing. But it was difficult for me to be at the hospital and be the only set of ears that was kind of hearing and digesting the medical information that, that we needed to know about Silas. I would say particularly in the first probably 30 days when things were so dicey and, and things happened so frequently, um, that was very difficult. Having, not having my partner with me all the time to walk through that. Um, and I had family 
um, that I could reach out to. And so I'm lucky in that regard. Um, both of our sets of parents are wonderful support to us. And so I was able to reach out to them. But obviously, they didn't feel qualified to give us a lot of advice because they had never walked this path. So while they were really super supportive, most of the stuff that I was digesting and having to kind of process, they, they didn't know how to help me with that. Right. So that was difficult. And, you know, I think for, I think it took me a while, but warming up to some of the nurses really helped with that. Um, I think the first week or so was kind of rough and that was probably more to do with me than it was to do with the nurses <laughs> because I was so sick. Um, but I think after that, when I finally, as I started to get into a rhythm where my husband would drop me off and then pick me up and I was at the hospital all day and um, I kind of started to get, to get a rhythm of going down for lunch or visitors coming to see me, then I also started getting a rhythm with the nurses and seeing um, we'd have really familiar faces that started to be more familiar. We would see them more frequently. And I, and I had one specific nurse that um, kind of took us under her wing. And I, for lack of a better word, she mothered me. Um, I think she saw that I was struggling when I wasn't able to identify that in myself because I was too focused outwardly. And so she just very gently um, would try to have conversations with me that weren't centered around the NICU. Um, and for me, that I appreciated that. We talked about life outside. And um, it took, it, I think she just noticed that my mind just needed to be taken off of, of everything being so heavy. And so I really appreciated that she kind of just, I, I remember the first day I thought, gosh, she's never going to stop talking. <laughs> um, and then later I started realizing, oh, she's doing this for me. She's telling me these stories and doing this so that I, can see that there's life still outside of this one little pod. And um, so that was such a huge help. And I, I, will, I, I will never forget her for that. And, um, and then she began to, obviously we developed a, a close friendship and a relationship. And so then she began to feel um, where she could say, Kira, I think you need a break. You know, why don't you go get a coffee and have a break for a while? Um, or she was very adamant about us going on date nights, especially as we got closer to discharge. And so she would say, I don't want to see you guys here after five o'clock and I want you to go on a date night. And so I thought that was just so great because that wasn't really her job. Her job was to take care of my baby. Um, but in the long run, she really took care of me. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but I vaguely remember this nurse um, grabbing a chair from outside in the hallway. She took that chair and she sat it in your room and she grabbed me by the arm and she told me to take a seat and to talk to you. And so we just sat there and we visited for, yes. I think like we visited for like 30 minutes that day. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I remember that very, very well that, that she, she, she loves the moms. She loved the yeah, moms very, very, very well. She does. And, and I think that's, I just, um, I, I cannot even thank her enough still to this day for how she helped me in hindsight, the ways that she helped me that I didn't even realize what she was doing at the time, um, that she really helped me not go insane. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't and know I for that, lack of a better word. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great point. So, so let's kind of transition into our, our postpartum health. As a mom in the NICU, we've got all of these struggles. We're watching our baby fight for their lives, you know, um, I, I there is a lot of emotions there when it comes to 
postpartum health for a mom who's sitting in the NICU. So why don't you share a little bit about taking care of yourself and some of those follow-up visits for you, even um, from preeclampsia, you know, those kind of things. And then, and then, you know, share just a little bit about how do we take care of ourselves from, from a mental health, from a mm -hmm. postpartum health, from a maternal mood kind of experience. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy for moms and dads, both are having the struggle of the NICU. And I think um, it's easy for us to focus so much on our infant um, that we just kind of put ourselves on the back burner and don't care for ourselves. Um, I had to go to a lot of follow-up appointments um, because of my blood pressure. So I, um, our son was in the hospital. My cardiologist, cardiologist was in the same hospital, thankfully. And so I remember multiple appointments where I would leave the NICU and walk through the tunnels underneath the hospital to get to the cardiologist. I'd go see him and then I would go back to the NICU. Um, and, you know, for much of the time that Silas was in the NICU, I did not feel well. Um, I don't think that I did the best job taking care of my health as far as just eating enough and drinking enough. The nurses were constantly telling me, um, here, let me get you some more water. <laughs> Kara, I haven't had seen you take a drink of water. <laughs> um, and so I think moms um, that are in the NICU, I think it's important um, to, and I, I had these nurses constantly telling me, if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, you can't really be there for your baby. And I, at the time, I thought I understood what they were saying. And I was like, okay, I'll go get a snack. <laughs> I get, I get it. Um, but I think that means, you know, physically and mentally. For preeclampsia moms, you know, for me, that meant, obviously, I said I, I was following up with a cardiologist. I saw him probably every week that my son was in the hospital. And then, you know, as my blood pressure began to normalize and regulate, I started seeing him every six months. Um, and then later, I, I found out, you know, that um, women that have had preeclampsia have a higher risk of developing heart disease and stroke. Um, and other heart health issues. And so I still, five years later, I still see my cardiologist once every year or 18 months just to follow up and make sure that my heart is staying healthy because for my long-term health, there are some now significant risks that um, I need to be taken care of. And so I think in the moment that we have our babies in the NICU, we don't really realize all of that stuff. We, we're just trying to focus on our babies. And I, and I think it's very hard for moms um, and truly any mom, I, I can't even say just NICU moms. I think it's difficult for, for any mother to focus on her own well-being. But I think it's so important that we have those people like the nurses and others, uh, our friends, that we, we have them in our lives and we hear them when they tell us, I think you need a break. I think you need to feed yourself better. <laughs> I think you maybe need to see a counselor. Um, I think it's important to go into motherhood expecting to struggle in some of those ways and already having a plan in place. Um, one thing that I, I guess I did do with my husband, we had a fabulous nurse that discharged me um, and she was very, very honest with my husband. She completely looked over me and looked at him and said, you know, these are the signs and symptoms you need to be watching for, for postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety if you see her develop any of these symptoms, you need to call her doctor. And I, my husband kind of looked at me like, um, well, you know, she's an adult. <laughs> um, but then later he was like, I really appreciate that she addressed me with that and kind of assigned that responsibility to me and not you because you already felt so overwhelmed. 
And so he watched me <laughs> like a guard dog. He asked me questions every day. Um, and what, and we went into that, you know, I think it's important to go into that, go, to go into having a baby with a partner or a friend or a parent or whatever your support is saying, please be honest with me if you see that I'm struggling. And so I did go into this, into having a baby already having had that conversation with my husband. And then thankfully that nurse gave him the resources to be able to help me if that, um, if those things were to happen. Um, I, I didn't have postpartum depression um, and I didn't really experience any postpartum anxiety during the time that my son was in the NICU. But months later, I was hit with, um, and I, I truly, it was when he was nearly one. And I think just coming up on the anniversary of his first birthday, it became to be it, it, all of the reminders of everything that had happened the previous year um, really kind of crashed down on me. And I began experiencing some very significant anxiety um, and a little bit of depression, but mostly just anxiety and and. PTSD. I didn't really know then because I had expected it to happen right after he was born. And we were kind of on high alert for all of those symptoms then right after he was born and while he was in the NICU. But then once we went home, it was like, oh, well, everything's fine, right? We're home and everything's fine. Um, and so it really hit me like a ton of bricks when he was around one. And um, thankfully, my husband, you know, he recognized that I was struggling. He recognized those symptoms. Um, and he had me go talk to my doctor and I began to reach out to a counselor, to support groups, uh, to other moms who had walked through the NICU journey to process all of these emotions and to process all of that fe those feelings. And so I think it's important to recognize that taking care of yourself is, is a long-term thing. Um, it's not just while your baby is in the NICU. <laughs> Yes. And that and that them being discharged from the NICU doesn't fix everything. It doesn't make all of the grief, all of the trauma, all of the heartache. It doesn't make any of that really go away. And you may or may not struggle with those things, but if you but they may and they may come way later. Right. And so it's important to recognize those and to kind of have an open, have an open conversation relationship with somebody in your life that can say to you, Hey, I think this is really starting to affect you in a way that you need you need to get you know some help. And so I was grateful my husband did that for me. And then he has also you know sought out um, some friends and other people to talk to that aren't me that weren't there with us during that time, um, but that he's kind of talked to and they have helped him through some of the um, emotions that he dealt with way later. Because I think for um, partners and spouses, you know, they watch us go through this and um, they have no control. <laughs> right. They can't control anything. And so I think they also have, it's important as, you know, to be looking out for one another in those ways, because they also have um, feelings and emotions and anxieties that need to be addressed and paid attention to as well. Very, very true. I think that was very well said. And Kara, the name of our podcast is We Saved You a Seat. And today I just want to thank you for saving a seat for me to come in and, and remember and reflect and talk about Silas and, and your journey and, and just remembering all of that. And then also saving a seat for everyone that is willing to walk beside you and kind of hear your piece of your experiences and everything else that's out there. So, so thank you again.
Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271 5072.